Welcome to the AVA Journal Legal Rebels podcast, where we talk to men and women who are remaking the legal profession, changing the way the law is practiced, and setting standards that will guide us into the future. The regulation of artificial intelligence in the United States has been a topic of growing concern and discussion in recent years. As AI technology continues to advance and become more integrated into various aspects of society, policymakers and lawmakers have recognized the need for a regulatory framework to address its potential risks and ensure responsible development and deployment. At present, the regulation of AI in the United States is still in its early stages, and there is no comprehensive federal legislation dedicated solely to AI regulation. However, there are existing laws and regulations that touch on certain aspects of AI, such as privacy, security, and anti-discrimination. Additionally, various federal agencies have been actively engaged in exploring AI policy and issuing guidelines. I know plenty of other people have done this, including a United States Senator during a recent committee hearing examining this very topic, but what I just said was written by ChatGPT and not me. The large language model released by OpenAI is one of several such tools that have, been, that have revolutionized the legal industry in a short amount of time, igniting debates about whether AI needs to be regulated, and by whom. The European Union recently took the first step towards passing the AI Act, whereby regulation would increase in proportion with the potential threat to privacy and safety an AI system poses. China has also drafted rules to regulate AI. In the United States, however, there's been very little movement towards establishing a regulatory framework at the federal level. Why is that? Does the U.S. run the risk of letting others set the agenda the way they did for data protection? My name is Victor Lee, and I'm Assistant Managing Editor of the ABA Journal. Joining me on today's episode of the ABA Journal Legal Rebels podcast is Dwayne Poza. Dwayne is a partner at Wiley Ryan, where he represents clients facing complex legal and regulatory issues. He regularly represents clients before the Federal Trade Commission and the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau. He's here today to talk about potential AI regulation in the United States. Welcome to the show, Dwayne. Thanks, Victor. Great to be here. So I gave the quick elevator uh, speech about yourself and your background. Can you talk a little bit more about why you, why you decided to become a lawyer and what drew you to the law? Sure. So I would say that I've always been interested in both law and in technology, actually. And I decided sometime in college that I was interested particularly in sort of the public policy aspects of, of a lot of uh, legal issues and particularly around tech regulation. So it's always been an interest of mine. I uh, actually spent a, a decent amount of time early in my career litigating, but I've always been sort of a, a tech lawyer and drawn to sort of tech regulatory issues. I actually spent about six and a half years at the Federal Trade Commission, which is an agency I'm very familiar working with all the time. And during that time there, I spent a lot of time working on emerging technology issues. And now at Wiley Ryan, where I've been for almost five years, have continued to work on really a, a whole range of different kinds of tech issues, particularly lately focusing a lot on AI. So, I mean, you, you mentioned um, working at Wiley, Wiley Ryan and whatnot and the kind of work that you do there. So um, kind of take me through a little bit sort of like what your job entails. Like, is it is it a matter of like a client being like, OK, I have this matter before this agency. Could you please walk me through it? Like what 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 is sort of the, the, the meat and bones of your practice? A lot of what I do is regulatory counseling on a, a wide range of issues that include um, privacy data security, consumer financial laws and regulations, and other sort of consumer protection statutes. Clients will come to me with questions based on often uh, new products that their businesses are bringing to them or inquiries they're getting um, from the business side about um, new technologies or new use cases. And they're, they want to really issue spots, the kinds of um, laws they might intersect with. 
those projects are particularly exciting because there's not always necessarily a, a clear answer. And, you know, the reason they're looking for outside help is because the, um, the technologies might raise new issues or there might not be a, sort of a clear framework around privacy or, or other laws that fit it. I also help clients dealing with, you know, government inquiries and also government advocacy. So just looking at AI, for example, um, you know, the number of sort of work streams where uh, the government has sought input on how AI should be treated has just grown, um, I, I would say, really exponentially in the last two years. Um, tracking, I think, a lot of what happened with privacy as well, where as regulatory approaches began to develop, they, they sought input. So a decent amount of my practice is also advocacy and sort of tr- strategic advice around um, where regulations might be going in ways that you know, folks can make their voice heard um, as that process is ongoing. Gotcha. So uh, before we talk about the nitty gritty with AI, let's talk generally. So obviously, a lot of people use the term differently. You know, one, co- one common complaint we have as reporters is that very often a lot of vendors will just slap AI on their on their product and be like, okay, this is, uh, and, you know, and, and, and obviously, you know, if you watch movies and TV, there's, there's a whole like other, other definition of AI. So how would you define AI as far as like, you know, uh, what you do and, and, and how you practice law? I would say that like a technical definition of error, a regulatory definition of AI would probably incorporate some aspects of uh, machine learning, sort of ability to learn and to make decisions in a way that mimics or similar to human decision-making. Um, that's not, not a precise definition because I'm not actually a technologist, but I think those are probably the, the central components. I do think that there's a lot of advanced sort of machine learning technology that whether or not you put it into a neat bucket of AI has similar sorts of characteristics and, and risks and, and opportunities, quite frankly, um, you know, it, it doesn't have to be like a large language model if uh, to be useful in terms of essentially, you know, processing large amounts of data or making predictive judgments that humans then can use. Like you can think of lots of use cases outside of, you know, ones we'll probably talk about where you just have sort of advanced um, technology that whether or not it's technically AI might be beside the point. But I mean, obviously, as someone with a technology background, I mean, have you ha- are you surprised at just the progress that you've seen in such a short amount of time, or or would you say that actually it's 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 about what you expected as far as just studying technology and and seeing the advances over the years and seeing how kind of law kind of lags behind that? I think that AI, as with I think a number of other technologies, have been growing at a steady pace, and sometimes you see sort of a tipping point where, you know, the public or the government or just sort of, you know, casual users of technology can really see the opportunities, um, what the technology can present. And I I think you probably could go through all kinds of different technologies, you know, through the internet uh, and and track that. And I see AI as being sort of at that moment right now. I think the amount of attention that certainly that I've seen of folks paying attention to it has been growing a lot in the last two years but I do think a lot of the groundwork for understanding, you know, how to manage it, what it can be used for, and, and you know, the ethics of it have been laid for a while. And I'm happy to see that um, a lot of that work is now being reflected in, I think, a lot of popular conversations, particularly when you get into generative AI, which we can talk about. But so, for example, uh, when I was at the FTC in 2017, I, I helped lead a, a forum series on um, AI, and it was AI and fintech at the time. And we convened a panel of experts to talk about 
um, the potential issues that could arise, as well as the potential opportunities on the consumer protection side of AI. And that was about six years ago or something like that, which seems like seems like forever sometimes. But, you know, a lot of the things that, um, you know, the experts there were talking about are the kinds of things that, that we're having a broader discussion about now. Things like, you know, privacy and transparency and also the, the opportunities that um, AI and similar kinds of technologies can bring. And, and I mean, without giving anything away and whatnot, I mean, do you use ChatGPT in your uh, in your everyday everyday practice, uh, do, or do you know people that use it? You know, I'm not a, a chat GPT uh, user yet. Um, <laughs> I uh, use all kinds of uh, fun technologies, but that, that is not there yet. Gotcha. All right. Before we continue, let's take a quick break for our word from our sponsor. Get civil and you get a fast, custom-built website that looks great, brings you clients, and drops them right into your firm's systems. Civil partners perfectly with small firms. By building the fastest sites in legal, handling digital marketing, enhancing your leads, and providing transparent analytics. They're civil to your other tech, too. Civil websites integrate with all legal case management systems, including Clio, Smokeball, MyCase, and Lawmatics. Get a free site audit with a no-obligation 15-minute demo about what Civil can do for your website. GetCivil.com. That's G-E-T-C-I-V-I-L-L-E.com. All rise with civil. Contract automation isn't a trend. It's a strategic imperative. Though big players in the e-sign world will make you believe implementing it will cost you big bucks and more than a few headaches, it doesn't have to be that way. DocuB is an easy-to-onboard, full suite of products and includes e-signature, brilliant workflow capabilities, and AI contract automation at nearly half the price of those out-of-touch behemoths. The one thing DocuB doesn't automate? Their customer service. Visit get.docub.com slash contracts to set up a call with a real live person. DocuB will be with you every step of the way. And we're back. So let's talk about AI regulation for a minute. So what is it about AI that needs to be regulated? And if so, what would a model framework look like? Well, uh, I think that the first decision point for um, regulators is really whether or not they're going to have regulations that are technology neutral or technology specific. So the baseline of a lot of existing regulations and laws that apply to AI are, are ones that are largely technology neutral uh, and principles-based. So um, just as an example, you know, the FTC polices uh, deceptive and unfair practices, and they put out a lot of guidance about what they think that those kind of prohibitions, how they apply in the context of, of AI, you know, in terms of, you know, not being deceiving, actually, you know, not labeling something as AI if it's not, you know, that, that kind of thing. But also like anti-discrimination laws similarly don't depend on the kind of technology. Privacy laws don't necessarily have to. So you can see that those laws already exist. Another debate that's going on, which I think you know folks should be really cautious about, is does there need to be specific regulation around AI? And I think that's that's much more complicated and difficult, and frankly raises a lot of pro- potential problems uh, because technology moves very quickly. And, and I think efforts at trying to regulate the technology itself often can be overtaken by how fast it changes. And sometimes, you know, often is the case that, you know, 
leading first with this principles-based uh, approaches can address many of the issues that are out there. So I think as policymakers are having these debates about how to handle AI, they should keep in mind whether or not the approach is going to be you know, sufficiently technology agnostic. Yeah, I think uh, yeah, there's sort of a similar, uh, and you correct me if I'm wrong, I think there was a similar um, argument concerning uh, autonomous vehicles, driverless cars, and whatnot, whereby, you know, in the absence of specific laws relating to, you know, driverless cars, autonomous vehicles, and whatnot, you can look to existing laws that deal with, like, so, you know, torts, tort, tort, tort law, and, like, you know, cybersecurity and stuff like that. But but there are there are some still some gaps that those laws don't cover, like, I mean, I think one of them one of them was that, um, you know, uh, who would be who would be responsible if if a vehicle causes a crash or whatnot. So, do you see like those same kind of gaps for like a, like an AI system or whatnot, whereby existing laws might not cover um, what 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 this technology is capable of? Yeah, I I tend to think that it's too early to say that there are specific gaps that need to be addressed, you know, through some sort of law or regulation. I think that. Uh, we're in a process right now where AI models are being used for all sorts of interesting um, new projects. Uh, you know, new tools are being developed, and we're learning a lot about the ways they can be used, um, the way some people might misuse them, um, and how best to stop the misuse. And so, we just recently um, there's a, a part of the Department of Commerce called called NIST that recently released a um, AI risk management framework, and it's a it's a very um, sophisticated, detailed look at the ways in which organizations can manage AI risks, and it, and it lists the different kinds of risks, um, you know, from privacy, security, being free, uh, you know, mitigating bias, as well as transparency and explainability, and also the places where humans need to be involved, which is a key component of AI. And it, you know, it's setting out this framework so people can use it, and it's also iterative. It's meant for people to. Or, you know, organizations to implement, uh, figure out what works best, and figure out the best way to approach the risks. And I think we're at a stage where that that is the right kind of tool to look at to see whether or not there are other kinds of um, other kinds of issues that organizations should proactively address when dealing with the technology. So obviously, your firm, uh, Wiley Ryan, very politically politically connected, very uh, well connected as far as like you know. Capitol Hill and and the various agencies and whatnot. So obviously, getting getting the federal government to, especially Congress, to to pass anything can be a Herculean task, which I I'm sure you can appreciate. Is that is that the main reason why why there hasn't been any kind of comprehensive? Um, I mean, I know there, there's a there's a law pending before the before con- before the Senate and or, or before Congress, and but you never know with those things. Is it is it just a matter matter of our political system being the way it is, or is it just not enough people seeing the need to act on it, uh, act on something just yet? Yeah, I'm of, of many of my colleagues are congressional experts, and I uh, you know probably know enough to be dangerous, but won't speculate too much about um, what's going on in the congressional side. Except to note that, you know, even in the case of, of privacy legislation, right, um, which is, you know, a step, a step removed from AI, you know, it's been, it's been years and, and has not yet passed. But, but I actually think there has been a lot of activity going on throughout the federal government, just in, maybe in ways that are not so apparent, you know, above the surface because they're not in Congress. So, um, for example, the White House, the Office of Science and Technology Policy has, has been putting out a ton of requests for input. They have a, an AI Bill of Rights that they put out last year. And um, there, there's currently an open proceeding on sort of uh, national AI priorities. And 
I do think those documents and those work streams will shape what private sector will, will look to in formulating their own way they're managing AI, um, regardless of uh, laws or regulations. I think federal agencies, which often have lots of discretion, will, will use those as like touchstones for how they approach things. And I think states also um, are increasingly getting in on AI kinds of regulations, either through, um, you know, they're looking at their own bills, but also like in California, I think some of their privacy law implementation could wade into some issues that are, uh, they talk about with AI. So, um, so I do think that there is a lot of activity um, going on. Maybe it's a little under the surface or maybe it's just in certain areas where if you, you practice, you know, employment law, you pay a lot of attention, for example, you pay a lot of attention to what the EEOC is saying about use of AI and hiring. But a lot of that, I think, is going on and will continue. Uh, what about the private sector? Like, let's say a bunch of companies and industries get together and they just have to come up with their own rules uh, or, you know, like a bar association or something or like, you know, like like ABA, for instance, like decides to decides to like come up with model rules and whatnot. I mean, do you think that would be a feasible model to kind of get other people to uh, you know, get the ball rolling on this or or is, is there a danger that then, you know, there's there's different standards in different jurisdictions or, you know, uh, you know, letting people kind of police themselves. There's always that there's always that kind of aspect of that makes people un, 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 uncomfortable, even though that's what the law is. <laughs> um, <laughs> is. Is there danger in that? Yeah, it, it's interesting. You know, one interesting thing about AI is um, because it, it's, you know, a technology that can be used as a tool for certain things. In some areas, you know, having, um, you know, certain sectors kind of look at things. Well, let me take a step back. You know, you mentioned, you know, like, you know, should bar associations have rules or guidelines around, let's say, using generative AI in the legal profession? Well, I mean, I think that's the kind of thing that you, I wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me to see a bar association weigh in on that from a sort of ethical standpoint, right? Because it's the application of uh, specific technology in the context of um, a profession, you know, where uh, like, you know, the ABA is, is involved in sort of the, uh, you know, conduct of attorneys. Um, in other areas, I think it kind of depends on, on the different sector, whether or not there'll be these sort of industry standards that emerge. I could see it happening on a technical level in, in certain different kinds of sectors. And, you know, I, I do think that there's you know, sort of a lot of discussion about that again, when you're talking about using AI for like specific kinds of things. And I think specifically around um, standards. Before we continue, let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. If you're like me, you're probably a bit frustrated with the state of our political system today. Democracy Decoded, a podcast by Campaign Legal Center, examines our government and discusses innovative ideas that could lead to a stronger, more transparent, accountable, and inclusive democracy. Listen at democracydecoded.org to their new season, which takes a deep dive into democracy at the state and local level by highlighting different ways to ensure that every voter's voice is heard. Delegate out those tasks that take up your time. Staffy can help you with your legal, administrative, marketing, and even client-facing workload. Hiring Staffy's top-notch bilingual virtual staff means Staffy does the recruiting, hiring, and training for you. Then, if you need a change, Staffy handles it. You get to concentrate on your strategic work. Schedule a free consultation at staffy.cc. That's S-T-A-F-I dot C-C and get $500 off with code HAPPY24. And we're back. Um, so let me ask you about the EU's proposed rules. I mean, do you think that could serve as a model for, for the United States? 
The EU right now um, is still in the middle of um, debating their proposed uh, AI Act, as they call it. And, and it's undergone different kinds of changes um, throughout this process. But the fundamental model of it is a risk-based um, approach, which focuses largely on you know, having more restrictions on deployments of AI that are, high, quote, high risk. And a lot of um, what's going on in Europe is what kind of technology or use cases fall in or out of high risk uh, because they'll be subject to a lot more regulation. I think that, the, in general, a risk-based approach is where you know, the U.S. and much of the world is headed in terms of thinking about how to deal with AI, which is focus on uh, the points that have the highest risk. And I will say, you know, one benefit of a risk-based approach is, you know, AI can do you know, lots of great things if used responsibly, from improving products and services we already have to solving problems that are difficult for humans, you know, goes on. So you don't want to over-regulate the uses that are, uh, that, that are helpful. I think the difference is the, the U.S. is, you know, similar to privacy, I think less likely to have the you know, large-scale restrictions that I think Europe is considering on sort of um, what they would call high-risk AI, um, at least at least on a federal level right now. Uh, it's, it's an interesting model to, to look at, and I think over the next six months, we'll get a better idea of what the European regulations finally look like. Gotcha. So where do you think the field of AI is heading? And obviously, that's a very broad question, but do you think like sort of like you know, the large language models are sort of what they're going to focus on or what researchers focus on and try to fine tune and make them even more reliable and more kind of less prone to error? Or do you think there's something else that people might focus on going into the future? Yeah. So, you know, as someone who is a technology lawyer, I, I'm excited to see where it's going more than I am someone who always wants to predict where it's going. Um, <laughs> I think that's that's uh, one, one of the great things about this job is I'm, I'm an observer and get to see the new things about where it's headed. You know, I'm excited around what large language models can do and how they can be sort of paired with humans to, to do new things, right? So I think large language models have many uses that are potentially helpful. And one thing that we are currently grappling with is ensuring that there's sufficient human oversight, you know, checking for accuracy, making sure there's not bias, and understanding that they're a tool. And that they need to be used in a certain way for which they're sort of, you know, fit for purpose and not in other ways where you just re rely upon them to be totally accurate without double checking them, for example. So I'm excited to see where that goes, especially as um, they get sort of integrated more with helping humans do tasks, you know, create things, et cetera. And then I think there's a whole bunch of fields that are probably outside my purview, like, um, you know, in medicine and other areas like that, where the ability to work with, you know, sort of large data sets and again, help researchers and the like seem to be pretty promising. So if you had a client that asked you, um, how should we draft internal AI regulations or policies so that we can get the most out of this technology, but avoid any potential legal problems? Like, like how would, like, what would you tell them? Yeah. You know, generally my view is that I think it's important for companies to have policies and procedures around these tools so they can have their employees be able to get the most out of them, but while avoiding any potential downside risks, mostly coming from the tools not being used by employees for the purposes for which they're designed or being used in a way where there's not sufficient oversight. And so um, companies can get a better handle on 
both the benefits and the risks by having pretty clear policies around um, use of the tools. And finally, if our listeners want to get in touch with you with questions or, or comments, what's the best way to do that? Sure. Um, email is the best. I'm dposa at wiley.law. And uh, I'm sure you can uh, t- type me into a search engine online and find ways to contact me as well. Great. Thanks for joining us today, Dwayne. I really appreciate it. Great. Thanks so much for having me. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to hear more, please go to your favorite app and check out some other titles from Legal Talk Network. In the meantime, I'm Victor Lee, and I'll see you next time on the APA Journal Legal Rebels podcast. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalRebels.com, LegalTalkNetwork.com, subscribe via iTunes and RSS, find both the ABA Journal and Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, or download the free apps from ABA Journal and Legal Talk Network in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.